Welcome to The Pestle. Reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by 90s catchphrases. Oh, no, you didn't. Now, let's kill the lights and turn this mother out. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Fistachios. All the flavor of fish in a single bite-sized nut. Get your Fistachios. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the vessel. I am Wes. And I am Dodd. And this is That's so gross. That sounds disgusting. Ugh. Cat hair not included. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Pestle. This is a movie talk podcast where we like to do a lot of film analysis. We're filmmakers. One of us is an actual producer um, and writers and all the things, actors. Yeah. Um, and we like to diagnose and kind of analyze films and see what makes them tick and what can we learn as filmmakers and sometimes just as storytellers and movie fans. Um, I know a lot yeah. of my goal is often to, well, for me personally, I'm trying to get better at being a filmmaker and what all of the language of cinema means and how to insert it and why it's used and all that. Yeah. But also I think the greater idea is to help people enjoy films and I don't know, just kind of refine people's tastes so that maybe the uh the average fare no longer feels acceptable <laughs> yeah i like that for sure i mean I, I think that critique can you can look at critique as as like you know one of two ways you can look at it you know those who can't right critique you know yeah. uh, those who you, can't do right you know, right yeah. whatever that saying is yeah. or you could look at it as you know it it furthers the art form yeah because without critique you don't have people driving to do something better than what was done. They just, you know, I don't think that people want to necessarily repeat what was done, but there is a, that additional push to do something new, right? That's such a good point because it's, it's a level of accountability Yeah. because if, if you're trying to get the approval of the critics and the critics are your tastemakers, that's a pretty good symbiotic, you know, relationship for everybody because yeah. now in order to get the approval of the tastemaker, you have to do something new and you have to challenge yourself. That's going to challenge them as a viewer to some extent. Yeah. And it goes past all those things that, you know, is expected Yeah, to find the unexpected. Yeah. I mean, you know, your critics should probably be your best friends, right? I yeah. mean, because they're the ones that are going to push you, you know, hopefully. I mean, that's the idea. But I mean, you know, there, I think there also is a way to critique. Yeah. You know, like you, you have complete assholes who just, you know, want to tear everything apart, but then, you know, you have the constructive criticism, which I think is, is a more of a way to look at what we do. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that the, the way that, that both of us like to go into these, into these recordings, into this podcast is, you know, people made this stuff. Yeah. Like somebody had this idea and brought it to fruition. Like it, and it may be total garbage, you know, or I don't think anything that we've done on this, nothing is total garbage that we've done on this. Sure. Right. I mean, there's, yeah, there, there's some artistic merit within everything we've done. Right. Right. Even and, the ones we didn't personally like. Right. And we can look at something and say, and say, you know, like, like I res I respect them for making, yeah. for like finishing this, you know, cause I would have stopped a long time ago, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? So somebody had the, the, the wherewithal to, to finish it. Right. Which is awesome. But that being said, you can't just, you know, let something go if it could be done better, you know, yeah. right? you have to call yeah. out. And I, and I would hope as artists, that's what we're always trying to do is get better and see, you know, where was my weak spot? How would I do it differently if I could do it again? One of the things that always rubs me is when people say, I wouldn't change a thing. Cause that's, that got me to where I am today. I'm like, yeah, that's not the point of the game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the yeah. point of the game is to realize where your shortcomings were and right. how you can shore those up next time. Yeah. If you could have done it over again, what would you do to maybe be farther along? Yeah. Right. That's absolutely right. Yeah. And who knows? Yeah. Who knows? You might. It doesn't mean, and, and you know, it doesn't necessarily mean you're not happy where you are now, but right. I mean, if you could build a better robot network, <laughs> true could you yeah and would yeah. you right <laughs> it's a, it, that leads it's us a into valid question that leads us into today's episode we're going to be uh, covering terminator the original so if yes. you have not seen that that movie from what was it 1985 
84. If you have not seen that movie, uh, please pause the episode and come back uh, and and listen listen then. But uh, there will be spoilers galore. Heck to the yeah. Uh, what are we going to talk about? We'll talk about a few things. Uh, definitely story, a little bit of uh, effects and cinematography. But mostly about story and then I have an interesting mm-hmm. question to pose towards the end that I think hmm. uh, will probably spiral out of control. But I like uh, that. It'll be fun nonetheless. I like out of control. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Great. Well, a quick synopsis of the film. An indestructible android is sent from 2029 to 1984 to assassinate a waitress whose unborn son will lead humanity in a war against the machines, while a soldier from that war is sent to protect her at all costs. Directed by James Cameron, written by James Cameron and Gail Ann Hurd. Cinematography by Adam Greenberg, featuring Arnold Schwarzenegger as the Terminator, Linda Hamilton as Sarah Connor, and Michael Bain as Kyle Reese. I don't understand. Defense network computers. New. Powerful. Hooked into everything. Trusted to run it all. They say it got smart. A new order of intelligence. Then it saw all people as a threat, not just the ones on the other side. Decided our fate in a microsecond. Extermination. Did you see this war? built in automated factories. Most of us were rounded up, put in camps for orderly disposal. Spurned it by laser scanner. Some of us were kept alive to work. Loading bodies. The disposal units ran night and day. We were that close to going out forever. There was one man who taught us to fight, to storm the wire of the camps, to smash those metal motherfuckers into junk. He turned it around. He brought us back from the brink. His name is Connor. John Connor. Your son, Sarah. Your unborn son. Skadoosh. Boom. When was the last time you saw this? Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, uh, probably, I don't know, 2002. Oh, nice. Ish, three, four, something like that. Yeah, to me, that's still like recent. Yeah, it's recent. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Given that it was made in 84. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because I don't think I've seen this since the 80s, maybe the 90s. I really? saw it. But I saw it a lot as a kid. Like, I was probably four or five years old at my babysitter's house watching this thing. Like, oh, man. Ad nauseum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember what, like, Dude, like it was yesterday. I remember watching bad <laughs> yeah. language is nudity. I didn't remember any of the nudity. Like there's Schwartz of dong and there's, well, uh, do you see the dong? I don't know. You, you see it's a uh, facade. <laughs> it's silhouette. True. True. It definitely doesn't have a problem being naked. <laughs> yeah. And there's a sex scene. There's so much of this movie I'd forgotten yeah. about. Yeah. Um, Overall, yeah. How did it hold up for you? Man, the, the 80s were just so 80s, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's really hard. Um, but okay, I I can't watch a movie like this and think did it, think about it holding up because mm. it's just not going to. Yeah. Right? You can't. You can't. You can't. You know, watch uh, Avengers or Guardians of the Galaxy and then watch Terminator and expect right. it to be anywhere in the same. Bo- like, there's no comparison. Um, but Story-wise, it definitely held up. I yeah. I, I really enjoyed that. I, I was they kind of overexplained, but I, it it wasn't it wasn't like so annoying. You know, it was it was more of like like I understood the explanations. Like okay, so he was explaining to her mm-hmm. things. 
she needed to know those things, right? And in him explaining those things that she needed to know, we got that information, right? It wasn't like it was just out of place. She was yeah. asking questions. She was like, talk to me, tell me whatever. And so he would just talk. Um, and from that, we got some information. The interrogation of him, um, we got information from him that way. And then when he was talking to the camera, when he's yelling at the camera, we got information that way. So we got information in a lot of ways that, you know, weren't, didn't feel, an, I mean, you know, I think today, if we were to see a movie like that, it might feel a little annoying, like, like, yeah, I think, you know, but, but I completely agree. Like the exposition was really well handled for a movie, this kind of sci-fi and technical and twisted. Yeah. 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 Um, and I love that they, you're right. I mean, they, they paced it out at times that made sense within the story mm -hmm. and they did it enough times that we got a really well-rounded picture. They open up with the, with the crawl or whatever, the prologue, and then, you know, the, the setup, and then they wait. They're really patient because it's so much visual storytelling, which I'll get into in a little bit, but they really paced that out really well so that all these questions you might have in your head, they, they address. Yeah. And they do it in a smart, um, in a smart way. I mean, he's a, he's a grunt. How much can he really know about all this stuff? Yeah. He's just there to fight. Well, the, I love uh, my favorite scene or one of my favorite scenes was the interrogation scene yeah. because like, like you got so much information that you were probably asking, why did they have to be naked? Why couldn't he have brought a, a, a plasma gun or something from the future? How did this machine come back when it, it's only uh, time travel is only for, you know, carbon based life forms, right? You got all this information in like, you know, two minutes of this interrogation, which yeah. is which is great. I remember it being a lot darker for whatever reason. Huh. I think that movies tend to brighten up uh, like, the, yeah. like later on in life when you watch them, yeah. right? Like, you know, watching a movie from the nineties or from the two thousands doesn't feel as heavy, you know, as right. today, watching it today, you know, generally like, speaking, generally, yeah, there's always yeah. going to be the uh, odd movie. I mean, anytime you watch signs of the lambs, it's going to be dark. <laughs> oh, good uh, God, you know what yeah. I'm saying? But I, but there's, um, also like just, you know, visually I, I remember it being darker, like, cause it's all shot at night pretty oh, much. Right, There's yeah. a, a few day scenes when they go to the hotel, but, mm. uh, for the, most, far. Yeah. Yeah, for the most part, it's all at night and, um, but they get right into it at the very beginning and, and my God, the music is so good. It really is. So good. There was only one part where I was like, oh, this is bad. Super 80s. Yes. It was like a synth. The diner. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We're talking the same part, but I loved everything else. I was like, yeah wow, this is actually working for me, man. Yeah. Yeah. Who did that sound? I don't know. Was it John Williams? Man, I would not be surprised that dude is on it. Yeah. But I, it was, it was smart. And they also, I love how they use the, uh, the theme to it's bass. It's heavy. I feel like they learned from jaws, like, Hey, mm -hmm. come up with a theme that inserts or implies that the killer is nearby, that the Terminator's there. He has his own theme song, basically. Um, Brad Fidel. Sorry. Yeah, I don't know who that is. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but you're brilliant, Brad. Yeah. Bradley. Bradley. <laughs> don't cut yourself short. Yeah. <laughs> and, hey, before I forget, because I will forget to mention this, the cameo. Which oh, it wasn't a Paxton? cameo. Yeah, in 1984. Yeah. <laughs> but I was sitting there watching it, and, and Jenny was next to me, and I go, oh, my God, that's Bill Paxton with a mohawk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For like 30 seconds. Right. And he's gone. Where he gets killed. So good. Dude, that guy gets slaughtered. It's fantastic. And I just, I don't know how the, him and James Cameron met because he's in uh, Aliens as well. Uh -huh. And he's a, yeah. you know, very memorable character. Which, by the way, did you, I just, uh, I'm, we're going to go left to center for just a second because you mentioned Aliens. Uh, do you know how he pitched Aliens? It'll be Terminator 2, but for Alien. Yes, he walks in, but yes. Is yeah. that what he... Yes. Because that was all He's, I was thinking this he, whole time. Basically. This but, is Terminator is to Alien as T2 is to Alien. But literally, he walked in to the room. All the execs are there, right? He walks in, writes Alien on the, on the board or whatever, <laughs> then writes an S at the end and dollar sign through it. <laughs> what? <laughs> And that's it. And that was, that was his pitch. That was it. That was it. Right. <laughs> that dude's got how stones. Perfect. That's how perfect. That's amazing. I mean, how 
freaking perfect is that? God, that's good. Golly. (laughs) Oh, my God. How did you feel about the, uh, for me, the only things that didn't really hold up were some of the cinematography. It was clearly like, I don't know if it was a matter of budget and they just, their shooting schedule was really, really fast. Or if this was, I can't imagine this was James Cameron's like style style because if you look at any other movies made since then uh he's gone longer lenses and i don't know a little more technical but some of these were like let's just get it on a steady cam or handhold it and uh run around and grab the shots and well i i'm not sure because i think a a lot of the some of it could have been fixed with better editing. Like there were some hmm. like you know the okay so the car chases and stuff those were edited really well. Yeah. Um but this other scenes were like after he just demolishes the entire uh, uh police mm-hmm. force and then he walks out of the building and that shot holds for like 10 seconds as he walks around the corner of the building as they, you know, they drove away. And so he's right. walking out towards them after he jumped off over the railing. I'm like, why hold on that shot? You know, he's going after them. My gut instinct, and this is a wild guess, um, but I think their shooting schedule was so tight that they yeah. just didn't, weren't able to get yeah. as much coverage to edit with. I could see that. And it's probably because James Cameron was trying to push so much and the, the technology aspect that he used all the budget there. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> they just didn't have the, the space to, to shoot everything. That's what I think. I just feel like he kind of backed himself up against the wall and was like, uh, we'll make it work. And yeah. they get in the post and you just don't have as much coverage to use. Yeah, but just cut away from that shit. Just cut you know? away. Like, damn. But no, there were some camera angles and stuff too that like, it's yeah. just like, why set that up? Because then there's these other shots that I'm like, man, that was a fantastic shot. Where like, I really love the scene whenever uh, Kyle Reese dies, goes into the department store and he's on the floor and we track there's this long tracking shot that they they cut up through inserts with the cops arriving and everything but you can tell it's a one it's a wonder that's fantastic and it's him entering and he goes low and we were tracking with him as he's scooting beneath like the clothing and he's on the floor and it's this whole shot and you're just tracking 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 and then he cuts in front of the camera finally to you know leave exit this the scene or the moment and i was like man that was like really well choreographed and shot and it's beautiful and they have all these longer lens shots that have all this really beautiful stuff and i think to some degree like these wider angles were meant to i don't know flesh out the world and kind of add a little sense of anxiety maybe i'm i don't know i feel like i'm i would i'd be justifying these decisions more in hindsight than feeling Mm -hmm. like it was executed with these specific intentions yeah you know i i I can back my way into reasoning but i can't imagine that it was an honest reasoning (laughs) yeah i'm not sure i mean it could have been well, whatever, Buck stops with the director, so. That's absolutely true. Yeah. But the effects were here and there. Like, that's where the dating really comes in is whenever they have the uh, the Arnold uh, oh, model head. Terrible. It was really bad. This is probably one time when uh, you wish film didn't hold up as well. Because yeah. Because they scanned it into HD and it did it no favors. <laughs> yeah, of course not. You just see the crap even better. It's yeah. a polished crap. And for the time, it's amazing that, you know, he had all that fluidity and the head movement and blah, blah, blah. But I think he should have done just makeup. And yeah, that would have played better maybe. But I don't know. Maybe that's something in post that he wouldn't have had the red light the way he wanted and there was no way to fix the light into his face <laughs> without like yeah, blinding him. <laughs> I don't know. We're going to remove your ocular <laughs> or replace it. What is an ocular? <laughs> yeah, worry. I'm not, I'm not sure, but I don't know what effects were. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't really have much to compare it to from the yeah. early eighties. That's know, true. I mean that like, Okay, so it's one thing to, you know, make a spaceship in the sky. Right. It's another thing to make a, you know, lifelike human on screen, right? Huge that's difference. that's probably the hardest thing you could you Yeah. Could even by do. today's standards. Even by yeah. today's standards. Yeah, that's the hardest thing you could do. So so I will give them, you know, hey man, you get a pass. You just th- there's probably part of him that was just like this is the best this is the literal best we can do. F it. Here you go. Here you go, world. There it is. That's the best. That's the best that's available right now. You know? So true. Yeah. One one of the shots I really love, though, was there's this uh, HUD shot where we see 
with on, with the the Terminator scene, those those red that red HUD with all the on screen diagnostics and mm-hmm. aiming, and yeah. there's this one shot though that's in slow mo, and it's him analyzing everything as he's taking down the cops. I think it's I think it's in the police station. This is the first time we really get a good look at uh, the HUD and. The cops are moving in slow motion. You see him take aim at the cop mm-hmm. and he tracks with him as he's running behind the wall and he shoots him through oh, yeah. the wall. Yeah. That's such a great. I love that shot for so many reasons. For one, it's really cool just to get a view of him in progress, how he as a Terminator is operating um, because it makes us fear him even more. And I think it makes it work because that's a slow motion shot. And it's one of the only ones I didn't see a lot of slow-mo in this movie. Yeah, no. And I think it's brilliant right there because it's calling on, and this is something I think was intentional on Cameron's part. Time is relative. And for a robot, they think and act so much faster that for them, time is slower. Mm-hmm. And they're able to process everything that you're doing way faster than you can process what they're doing. Yeah. And so I love that they use slow motion to kind of indicate the time dilation difference between us and robots. Yeah. That's a good point. It's subtle and I think awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it was, it was funny because the, the whole movie, I was wondering like, why aren't we seeing from his point of view? And then Mm. that happened and like, Oh, okay, cool. That, yeah, that's how he sees. sees. Oh, no wonder they didn't show it very much because that's awful. I don't want to see that on screen very very much. That red tint was just terrible. Yeah, it's really rough on the eyes. It's effective in short doses, but... Totally. Like little bursts of it, but... Yeah. Don't overplay that card. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what did you... um, How did you feel about it? Like, what did you think of the story? And I was surprised how caught up I got. Yeah, right? I was really with it. I mean, emotionally, I felt the tension. I felt fear. Have, knowing everything that's probably going to happen, you know, mm-hmm. um, and yet it still really got to me and I could feel the anxiety might be pushing it, but certainly on the cusp of it and feeling some level of anxiety and tension and, uh, curiosity, like, Oh, what's going to happen next? Cause I did forget cause it's been whatever, 20 plus years. I forgot a big chunk of this movie and everything that happens like the police headquarters scene. I forgot all about that. Oh yeah. And that took me by surprise and seeing, you know, all those moments and just how quiet the movie is uh, caught me by surprise. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is a really visual movie. And they use that to beautiful effect, I think. I don't know how you see it, but I kind of see this as a horror movie uh, first. And as I mean, certainly a sci fi horror in the vein of Alien. But I see it as a horror movie more than I see it as an action film, I guess, just from the beats of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I would agree. Yeah, right. It's. I mean, uh, the first thing he does is kill people. Right. <laughs> he shows up and he's and you're like, if you're there, he will kill you. Like it is not like he is yeah. completely. You can either cooperate or you can die. It's whatever you. Or make he your doesn't hay. even give you the choice to cooperate. Uh, you know what I mean? Very often. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're automatically in the way, and that that to me is horror. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, because. There's there's no negotiating as you know uh, Kyle Reese tells her later you know there's there's no negotiating he doesn't care he has one mission and it's to kill and he's he's not stoppable and to me that's also kind of a hallmark characteristic of a horror film is there's a monster and it's unbeatable mm-hmm. and that's the that's the title of this movie right it's it's a thing a robot a machine that is completely unstoppable and every monster movie usually has its rules and has its uh, ethos of why a thing is happening. And sometimes not, sometimes they don't explain it, but usually they do. Mm -hmm. And usually you find out what their weaknesses are. And that's what makes this movie so good. Because normally Cameron really struggles with making a good bad guy, unless it's something that doesn't, it can't give you a reason because there is no reason. It is what it is. And it does what it does. Um, whereas his human bad guys usually are like really bad versions of the Terminator. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's perfect. That's everything you want in a, in a bad guy, a villain, um, is either you understand the reasoning and you can identify with them on a human level or you're afraid, you know, shirtless <laughs> yep, and you just want to get away and there's no way to kill it. Um, go back to listen to episode 52 for everybody who's, who's, who wants a good example of what we're talking about. Yes. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. I want you to guess. Oh man. Well, what's episode 52? What, what would, what would categorize as all of those things that you just said in an excellent horror film? 
That would make for an external Infinity the, the, War? It follows. Oh, my God, yes. It's, it's still, like, it's one of my favorite horror Same. films. Same, Like, it's definitely in the top ten, maybe top five even for me. It, eh, but it's it's up there. It's, it's so original and unique. Perfectly made and in, in, in such a low-budget way yeah. that you're just, like... It's so it's high good. concept. Yes. And that's hard to do because like the Terminator or some of these other movies will have a really high concept, but takes a lot of budget to execute. And so finding yeah. that happy middle yeah. ground of it's that's the other thing that really surprised me about this movie uh, was that I forgot how much of the future we see. Oh, yeah. We spend a lot of time experiencing what Kyle Reese's uh predicting or you know knows is a reality mm-hmm. i forgot how much i thought it was really just the opening uh, sequence where they crush a skull and you see how bad it's going to get and then he comes back yeah but when he goes to sleep or when he's describing or remembering you see these long drawn out sequences and you're like oh snap that's pretty bad yeah like the, the scene in the bunker yeah or in the hole or underground or whatever yeah that's brutal and when he's losing his friends it's like dang yeah and so it's a really I'm just surprised how much they were able to draw this film out sure. and flesh out the world. Because world building is always going to be the, the toughest part of a, a science fiction movie. Yeah. And so making a sci-fi horror, you're really putting yourself up against a wall. Yeah, I was pretty pretty proud of uh, of Cameron for his writing in this film. Yeah. Film. Like the story is really good. The story is really good. Dialogue in places is still very, very spotty. But the story is fantastic. I was, you know, same. I was blown away. And it set, I mean, it sets up the future yeah. of the, yeah. The whole franchise yeah. and everything, which I'm excited. We'll get to uh, later. But going into the storytelling, like horror, I think works best when it's purely visual. And this was all visual storytelling, um, less dialogue driven. And to your point earlier, he weaves in the dialogue at the perfect moments. I think I was just really surprised and impressed by James Cameron in a way I haven't been in a very long time. Mm. And that's a really good feeling. He also has a, a scene in there in the club that he calls Technoir. And that was him trying to label this style of movie, which I struggle with the idea of what a noir is. And every time I think about it, I have to look it up. Because when I think about noirs, I think of hard-boiled private eyes, like Humphrey Bogart is usually what I think of, or Blade Runner. And so the idea of a techno-war really scrambles my brain. But I think that the general idea, after kind of re-familiarizing myself of a noir in general, is that it's someone who's kind of self-defeating up against a system. It could be any number of types of systems, the government, mafia, both of them all together. You know, a, lot of, a lot of different types of... Uh, and he's trying to solve something or he's trying to figure out or he's trying to get to the truth of something. And here he's combining the idea of sci-fi futuristic tech with, I guess, some of these ideas of a dystopian future system that, he, you know, one of the main characters, Kyle Reese, is battling against and pulling Sarah Connor into. And so that was an interesting idea. I, I think I'm going to do my own personal deep dive into noirs just to see if I can really put my finger on what makes a noir a noir um, instead of just seeing definitions, maybe actually go do my own research and figure it out. Um, Cause it's seems like the kind of thing that I would really love to write for. Um, it's dealing with all these philosophies and ideas and concepts that I just really love. And a robot future is certainly high up there. Yeah. Um, but also going back to visual storytelling, I also think the idea is that a uh, tension whenever you're doing purely visual storytelling, it's pulling us into what we're seeing and we're building it up in our minds, everything that's happening. You're, it's kind of like a, uh, a movie that you have to watch with subtitles. It's going to pull you in a little bit deeper because you cannot take your eyes off the screen and now you're glued and that's creating all the world building in your head. And so the tension creates because of your rapt attention to uh, what's happening on screen. It's just pulling you in that much further through the visuals. Um, and it's, of course, slowly building up the world. There's a war in the future with robots winning. And it's just really taking its time whenever you're building it, world building in your head. And going to the unbeatable monster, I love it, man. I love we're continually ramping up the difficulty and testing the monster 
constantly. I feel like every time they, they try something, uh, you know, we'll, we'll start with a fight and we're going to lose that. And then we're going to try bullets and then car wrecks and then damage from the car wrecks. And he's ripping his arm apart and his eye. And uh, now we're going to put him against an entire police department. And then we're going to run him over by a semi truck. And then we're going to detonate him in half with a massive explosion. Oh, before that, we're going to put him into a massive explosion. He's going to be burned to a crisp, lose all his flesh and skin. And now he's just a shell. Uh, but now he looks even harder. And then we're going to detonate him in half and blow him apart. And finally, hey, I think we'll win by crushing him in machinery. That's very, yeah, (laughs) that the machinery is kind of reflective of him. And I think they're making some kind of commentary about, you know, fighting fire with fire, or maybe we need robots to defeat robots, or maybe there's a certain level um, that we can't live with them or, and we can't live without them. Like there's this really interesting uh, dynamic that uh, you bring up whenever you start talking about the idea of we defeated a robot through our own machinery. And it's just kind of self-fulfilling loop, you know, which yeah. to some degree time travel movies like this are. Definitely. Because why would Kyle Reese, you know, know that or why would uh, John Connor John know Connor. that Kyle Reese was going to be his dad if this wasn't a fully self-contained loop? And I think. Did he know? Yeah. That's what his mom was saying at the end. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, I'm debating whether or not to tell you about your father. Mm-hmm. I think I will. Yeah. And so this movie really works as a self-contained movie. Now, what they do later, I mean, anything past T2 doesn't really count because that's not James Cameron. Yeah, no. But they decided to expand it and blah, blah, blah. But it, it really works pretty well as a self-contained loop because it's just self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, and I don't know, I guess it kind of is what it is. But I love the idea that it, the loop closes with machinery on machinery violence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also really liked this from a pure visual s- storytelling point is that we see the Terminator operate emotionless, emotionlessly on his right arm. Right. He's pulling it and he's he pulls out a wrench, which is a kind of an odd scenario where he breaks into. I don't know if he's breaking in or if. That's the room he rented for yeah. the night. Yeah, I don't know. And then he goes back to it. Yeah, Is maybe there, he had a, a someone else go back in time. There's having to be a guns under the mattress. I don't. Yeah, <laughs> that's a little sketchy, and it's kind of a just go with it moment, mm-hmm. um, which I'm fine with. Maybe there was a scene he edited out. I don't know, but you see him operate on his arm, and he's completely indifferent to everything he's doing to his own flesh and blood. And then later, we also see Sarah operate and patch up Kyle Reese's right arm and it's painful and it's a whole dialogue around, you know, what she's doing and uh, she's trying to help him and he's, he's trying to act like a robot. He's like, don't worry about it. Forget about it. But he's not, he's a human. And it's just this very subtle uh, contrast to the difference between robots and humans that they're kind of evoking uh, through having the same thing happen on both of their bodies. Mm. Um, and that's kind of a simple and cool. Yeah. And it's, it's a nod to him having to be hardened being in the future and being more like having to be more like a robot, right? Yes. Not just because it's impossible to be like a normal human in that world, but also because, you know, you, you kind of need to get into the head of your enemy to, to know how to defeat them, right? So you kind of become that in a way, right? Which I find really interesting. Mm-hmm. And we do that. And before you think, you know, oh, that's that's garbage. We do that every day. If you run a business and it's and you have your business online, yeah, that's all you're doing is you're creating your website and your presence to make it easier for robots to find you. <laughs> that's what the search engine is. That's what Google algorithm is. Yeah. It's a robot um, that's designed to. It's our Skynet. It's our Skynet. And we're constantly creating everything in order to be seen by it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's a weird thing that we no longer really make things for people. We make things for robots, even as we're having robots make things for us. And isn't it cool? They talk about they're basically talking about the Internet in 1984. Dude, that's a prescient, prescient call. I mean, like what they, we gave them, we, we let the, we tied them into everything. Mm -hmm. We gave them access to everything. 
and they made the decision about us in a nanosecond. It's pretty cool. Like, that's uh, the freaking yeah. internet, man. How cool like he is called that? his shot. I don't know. Yeah. I, well, I have a suspicion, and that's part of the uh, the end game here. But Illuminati. <laughs> yes. Scientology. I don't know. Same thing, right? Freemasons. My grandfather was actually Freemason. Oh, I know all the secrets. Oh my god! No, it's a bunch of old dudes sitting around in a like a patio basically it's so funny when i hear cool, people cool go on about like the idea of shriners and freemasons and like you've clearly never been around those people <laughs> it is not dude what you, think. You, you really need to make up a better story <laughs> if you really was a freemason come on man that's true god you to know who continued. the next president will be you know you know who killed jfk <laughs> I mean, yeah, that. it's in the pamphlet, but <laughs> <laughs> that's the things. Uh, so, I mean, that's kind of all I got cool. for this one. I'm, I'm excited for what comes next I'm, to see because I'm um, spoiler alert for the pestle. Like next week yeah. we're going to be doing Terminator two judgment day and we're going to see how the loop closes yeah. and how this, if it holds up sci-fi wise, um, because this was a request we're doing t1 and t2 as a request to my buddy steve uh steven and he he just had his own thoughts that he was curious if we'll end up reflecting and i don't know what his thoughts are yet so i'm excited to to hear the feedback he gives us but yeah for the moment i don't know do you have any other thoughts for late terminator how freaking yoked is schwarzenegger man there's a good i mean okay i have a couple of thoughts on that so and i i've thought about this for a while like there is there are so many bigger guys mm-hmm. they're True. so like you know you look at anybody on a stage in a bodybuilding contest today and there are so many like just unfathomably gigantic human beings right like and not just that they're more vascular they're they're balanced like they're just incredible mm-hmm. but you look at at arnold and because okay so the guys that you see on stages now you look at them and you th- and i mean there's a part of me that looks at them and i'm like man that is amazing that is sure. that is unbelievable that you could dedicate your life to that like and it is anybody who has looked at bodybuilding at all with any kind of any kind of microscope it is something to be admired i don't i don't care what you think of, of, you know, they're gross or whatever. I don't care what that's that get past that for a second. Discipline, the dedication. Yes. yes. I mean, this is like, you have every calorie planned out for your life. Yeah. You have every motion you make in a gym, which you're in a gym five hours a day is planned. Every single rep is planned to, to one end goal, which is, you know, six months, a year, two years from now. Right. And these guys just, they dedicate their whole lives to it. And anybody who dedicates their entire life to something should be applauded. That being said, like (laughs) you can't, there is nobody, I don't think there's ever been, maybe never will be, maybe probably will be, but someone who is so balanced and perfect, like body wise as Arnold Schwarzenegger, that he was the first, I mean, okay, Go watch Pumping Iron, and it is a it is it is a modern day Rocky. Was Rocky three when he fights the Russian? Uh, four. Rocky four. Only, you know, it's reversed, right? <laughs> so, so you have you have Lou Ferrigno, mm-hmm. who's in New York in this dirty, nasty, terrible gym like rusty ways. Yeah. Just like (laughs) killing himself. And he's, and he's gigantic. He's like probably 30 pounds heavier than, than, uh, Schwarzenegger, maybe more. I mean, he's a good six inches taller than Schwarzenegger. And then you have Schwarzenegger in California in the most beautiful place. And you just show him like with women around him and he's happy and he's having fun and, and just, you know, in, in paradise. And yet he wins. Right. Yeah. He just demolishes him. And it's because of so many things. One that, that, yeah, he's, 
he's perfectly balanced and, and he's big where he needs to be and he's toned where he needs to be and he's vascular where he needs to be, but not overly. But then it's also an attitude, man. Hmm. He has that Muhammad Ali attitude where it's like, I'm going to enjoy mopping the floor with everybody (laughs) that's up on this stage with me. Right. It's not, I'm going to have fun all in the process I'm going to enjoy every moment of it while you're killing yourself. I'm going to kill myself, but I'm going to enjoy it. And then when I get on stage, I'm going to enjoy melting you. You know, like there's this attitude that he carries into this film that he has with him in all of his, of his movies. He's just like, I'm the greatest. Yeah. And there's something so cool about that. Right. Yeah. Right. Cause to be able to say that you're the great, anybody can say that. Right. But not many people can say that and everybody else says, yeah, you're right. (laughs) Right. There is a difference, right? Because most people, they'll say, yeah, I'm the greatest. And you're like, no, you're not, you know, or, or you're full of yourself. Yeah. And, you know, you could watch that film and say, yeah, he's totally full of himself. But you'd also say, yeah, you're right. (laughs) You're the greatest. He's just so good. He's per- he perfectly cast for this this movie. And I love that he's naked in the beginning. Yeah, and I, I mean, okay, take that out of context. <laughs> I, I I love that. Like, he's just on a bat. They don't shy away from showing his size. He's formidable, right? But they don't. They don't. They also don't like throw it in your face. Yeah, you have to really pay. T- you have to really look to see that his biceps are yeah. you know forty inches or what I'd not really. Yeah. He's just this hulking silhouette of yeah. a thing that towers over everybody. I'm sure casting slightly shorter people. He's six two, which is pretty tall by Hollywood. Standards. Sure. Sure. Um, and so I guess you could probably cast anybody you want and he's yeah. still going to tower, but maybe shoot the angles and a little bit more of, you know, you shoot him from low angles to make him tower a little bit more mm-hmm. and uh, shoot everyone else from higher angles to shrink them a little bit more. And suddenly, all of that put together, he's already whatever a thirty-time Mister Universe or whatever. I think six, <laughs> God, more. That's insane. Yeah, no, he, yeah, he was awesome. And they could have picked a bigger guy. Mm-hmm. You know, they could have picked Lou Ferrigno, but yeah. um, you know, but they. But didn't. it's that attitude. I think you're right. It's, it's it's that attitude and it's that pure unfiltered confidence. Because the other thing was. Lou is like the guy you want to go have a beer with. Yeah. He's like funny and, and fun and everything. You don't, I mean, you might think that of Schwarzenegger now. Yeah. But he has a, that striking look that just mm-hmm. screams danger. Yeah. That like, you know, uh, that jawline, yeah. that really, that really tight jawline and just the, the crate, like when he opens his eyes wide, you're like, what is this motherfucker going to do? <laughs> oh my God. Uh, he get he gets scary. Right. Oof. Anyway. Yeah. He was, gigantic nice um cool what are you gonna recommend for the week i'm you know i'm gonna recommend pumping iron nice because i i remember in high school the uh, my my uh coach showing the football team that that film really? the first time <laughs> and it, it, with this scene where he where he goes when i'm and i'm just gonna tell it yep. uh with the scene where i'm just like he goes he goes when i'm when I'm li- lifting weights, I just, I feel like I'm coming just all the time. It's, it's better than it's sex. Better than sex. <laughs> it's just everybody like erupted in laughter. And I was like, you got me, man. You got me. I'm going to watch this entire thing. It's just really entertaining. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to recommend Edge of Tomorrow. Great. It's, it's one of those movies that yeah. people will probably generally know about, but I don't think enough people watched. It was one of those that kind of came in under the radar because it's Tom Cruise and it comes across maybe in the previews as this generic sci-fi action flick, but it's so much better than that. It's, it's one of my favorite recent, you know, sci-fi films. And so, yeah, you know what? I'm going to watch that this week. Dude, that's, that's yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a good call. Uh, I probably will too now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, very cool. So stay tuned next week when we do, Terminator 2 Judgment Day. (laughs) And don't forget to subscribe and review us. Leave us a note if you want us to cover a movie or talk about a thing. We'll talk about that thing. And if you want to comment on this episode, you can do that at thepestlepodcast.com slash the Terminator. And okay, so we have two quotes 
for today. Yeah. How about I read one and you read one? Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll read Elon's. So this one's from Elon Musk, which is a hero of mine for sure. Same. Uh, with artificial intelligence, we are summoning the demon. You know, all those stories where there's the guy with the pentagram and the holy water and he's like, yeah, he's sure he can control the demon. Doesn't work out. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I know how he feels about artificial intelligence. And this one's from Ray Kurzweil. Uh, Artificial intelligence will reach human levels by around 2029. Follow that up further to, say, 2045, we will have multiplied the intelligence, the human biological machine intelligence of our civilization a billion fold. Now, obviously, those both play a part to the movie we're talking about here um, with the idea of... AI or robots becoming sentient and taking over humanity. And then Ray Kurzweil calling that this is all going to happen around 2029, which is, I think, why James Cameron said that 2029 was the future that they're coming back from. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that probably makes the most sense. Kurzweil was a really big uh, AI guy and computer futurist and very brilliant mind. I don't know if he's still alive today. I'm, I assume he probably is, but uh, sorry if you happen to listen to this, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so my question to you is, what's your feeling? Do you have a feeling about all that? That idea of, do you think it's a bunch of overblown hooky or do you think, yeah, there's a real possibility that Elon Musk is right, that AI is going to be the death of humanity? I mean, that's a good question. I know we've talked about it before on the podcast. At some oh, point, probably yeah, you know? on Ex Machina. Yeah. Uh, I think that my feeling about it is that if it is the en- if it is the end of humanity, if it does signify that, that it, it's probably be- not be not in the same way of like this movie. It's not like they're going to rise up and mm. build themselves and demolish us, I don't yeah. think. I think it's more along the lines of, it'll replace people doing jobs so much so that it'll be harder to find to like for, for people to, to like work or like it'll be the the balance of things will get out of whack. I feel like if that, and this is assuming that actual artificial intelligence is actually a thing. Yeah. Right. right. Like that's even possible. Right. Like, like, I mean, you should go, anybody listening should go back and listen to Ex Machina because yeah. we do talk about this at length. But like, how do you, how is there ever a way to tell that something is you know, cognizant, yeah. sentient? Yeah. You know, how, how is it ever a way to tell? I mean, you know, there are tests and stuff, but even then there, there's really no way to tell that something is actually, you know, making an, an a proper informed decision like a human being would. I mean, this, it's just kind of, I don't know. So, but even, you know, assuming that it can happen, that artificial intelligence can happen, I, I, I think it, it would definitely evolve to a, a point where it is its own thing. And it's, it's not like you can pull the plug. Yeah. You know, I think it's, it can go beyond that at some point. And that, might I mean, it, if it is possible, it's going to happen because we as human beings are constantly try to be God, yeah. and there's no stopping that. We've always been that way. We've always been trying to create something that we've never been able to create because yes. yeah, we've been trying to become our own God. And I'm, I mean, you know, so I I think that where I share Elon's concern with it. Um, I don't think there's any stopping it. And Mm -hmm. so I think it'd be a better plan instead of fighting it to find a way to integrate it in a way that actually helps humanity rather than just starts taking McDonald's jobs away from people and, and, uh, assembly line jobs away from people and stuff instead like is able to create jobs in some way or create new industries or, you know, new ways to help people that we couldn't before because of this thing now, you know? Um, yeah. So, and, and I mean, that would be, honestly, I would like to see him actually go in on that. You know, I mean, he's, he's tackling cars, he's tackling space, he's tackling, you know, boring tunnels under, under LA. 
which I'm not totally sold on that, by the way. I, 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 oh, yeah, I, I don't yeah, really yeah. understand why he started the boring company. Yeah, there's traffic. Okay, invent a flying car. I don't know. what Like going under, I, it's weird. Why not, you know, dive into AI like... Uh, like and I, I hate to say I'm on the side of Bezos because I'm really not. I hate that guy. Uh, but I think that he he sees that it's coming and wants to be on the forefront of that. And I mean, there, it's if it's coming, it's coming. Yeah. So how about we do it right? And I don't trust Bezos to do it right. That's for sure. I, I would more so trust Elon than anybody. Hmm. I don't know. What do you think? I, yeah, I'm not afraid. Like I, on most of the fronts, because there's, you know, a lot of talk about it right now with, uh, advancements and the, there's election around the corner and there's a lot of fear just about robots. And like, I definitely don't think we're the Terminator level of, uh, in danger. I I think that's, uh, silly. It's, it's, that's a, that's a nonsense, you know, area to go to. And we could have a whole fleshed out conversation about that but yeah i'm also i'm not really worried about the the jobs thing either i think historically speaking this would break a very you know historical precedent of the way we use technology to better humanity and the the way we use it to create new jobs even though you know the car displaced you know horses and carriages you know it's not it's not like we didn't have taxi cab drivers that came along and there's other new amazing uses that cars brought us like uh fire trucks and paramedics and uh ems you know trucks and all those things that the people at the time were probably saying this you know we're doing the same thing that people are doing now which is you know fear-mongering the idea that you know suddenly we're going to have this huge economic upheaval, which I'm certain there will certainly be people who make a lot of money off of it. Um, from a free market perspective, I think that means usually that means someone's providing a, a service, not always, because nowadays we have a lot of corruption. And so don't think I'm just blind to the cronyism that happens with people like I'm not going to start naming names, but <laughs> but yeah, that's a real, very real thing. But I think on average, you know, whenever you think about historically, you know, threshing machines and the ways we've, you know, become more efficient, it phases out old jobs and creates new ones and also brings down the prices of goods. I think, you know, the, the, the market, the people are the market. And so I don't think you can ever price people out of the market because then there wouldn't be a market you instinctively there must simply be people to participate in because what sense does it make for Bezos or uh, Sam Walton junior 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 whoever's running that thing now to make a product that's too expensive for people to buy that doesn't make sense now they can't make money and so there's a certain level of I think economic activity that has to take place and we're we're at the point now where you know we consider the poor people who have internet access and computers and laptops and cell phones. And if this is our version of poverty, I think we're doing pretty well. Um, and so I, I couple that with the idea of AI and robots and I think it gets better, brings quality of life up further and further and further. And maybe we do get to a point where people work less and less with probably still getting at least the benefits that we have today, if not better. Um, I think the real danger of AI is in replacing human connection and what happens whenever you can build a robot that can love you better than, you know, another human being, then we start to lose touch with each other even more than we are now. Cause right now, right. Most interaction takes place through a, through a robot, through a machine. Um, and so that's, that's where my real worry is. And I, I think that's the one thing that we need to be. Uh, conscious about as we move through the world and as we see it improving, we need to figure out ways to to get better at being with other people so that we remember what it means to build a relationship and to stay in touch and stay in contact and sit down and have a moment of peace. We have so much going through our head and we our attention span is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Another reason why I love movies is because it makes me sit and think for an hour and a half, two hours plus I have to sit there and really pay attention and to engage with something, um, to allow it to affect me and to be able to have a conversation about it afterwards, uh, with other people. And so I think these are the kinds of art and uh, communal things that can help us, I don't know, stay in touch with each other. That's the short version. I mean, that can 
certainly go on with other weirdo things. But I will say, and I'll link this in the, the, the show notes, Byron, I've been working on a series with Byron about AI. And he has a lot of really interesting, thought-provoking uh, questions and uh, ideas, monologues about uh, the nature of AI and the progress along the way. Um, is it even possible? He goes into all these interesting things that uh, I think would be fun to listen to. And he doesn't always try to act like he knows the answers. Sometimes it really is just asking, I don't know, like maybe he talks about the way uh, the printing press could have put out a lot of people out of the, like the New York times or the London times, whoever. And instead the, the owner of the printing press or said that, well, actually, you know, this is changing the game and we're going to keep you around and we're going to find new jobs for you within, within our company. We're not going to lay you off. And so he was making the case that maybe that's not a bad way to, to approach the upheaval. You know, it doesn't always have to be this clean slate thing. Maybe we can take inspiration from, the good ways that people have handled in the past. And so I'll link it. It's at the end of it, it's going to be 166 of these videos. And I think we're up to about 30 or so right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Very and cool. Yeah. It's, it's pretty fun. They're all like bite-sized one to two minutes long. Oh, cool. Um, so you don't have to sit through a 30 minute lecture to get to the thought. <laughs> That's really awesome. Yeah. It's fun. It's interesting. And it's thought provoking. Even if you disagree with them, like it should at least, you know, challenge you like, okay, what's another way I can think about this? Like, what do you, what do you think it, it is going to, another question is, what do you think that AI is going to look like? I mean, because some people, you know, you look at, at this and you, you see, it looks like a human at this movie, at Terminator, and you see, it looks like a human. Um, I would argue that if it ever does happen, it's definitely not going to, it might not look like anything. It might mm -hmm. be, the efficiency of a robot might say we're going to be a much better killing machine if we look like a box or yeah or or if we don't look like anything if we're yeah. google right you know if we're google search engine you know or if we're facebook like you yeah. know what i mean like it could be this other thing that doesn't have a form that's so true i just but can control us yeah and i don't think it's very hard i mean no we have animals that control us and they're stupid yeah. Look, you know, as much as you might love your, your dog or your cat, that thing doesn't care about you to, to a very large degree. I'm not saying that they're not going to try to pull you out of a fire or something mm -hmm. if you've trained it well enough. But I don't know what I was watching recently that was like, look, if you die in your house and your pet can't get out, they're eventually going to eat you. They don't care about loyalty at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. They care about survival to, to a very large extent. And we give them so much control over us. And I love pets. I'm not like anti-pet or anything. Yeah. But also recognize that these are they're animals and uh, I'm the master here and I'm going to love it and I'm going to treat it well. And if anyone kicks my dog, you're going to get a beating. <laughs> like yeah. That's all a given. Um, but how much easier is it going to be if a, if a machine that can understand people can manipulate you yeah. and make you fall in love with it. We fall in love with inanimate things all the time. Go yeah. watch a uh, good her. Uh, her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're vibing, bro. Man, we're vibing. Dude, we're on the same cycle here. <laughs> Damn, we got to slow down on these, these yeah. episodes. And so whatever it wants to do in terms of control, I think it, it'll figure it out because it's, yeah. that's what we're creating it to do is to be efficient at understanding people. Yeah. I mean, uh, if you, I just don't think it's very good at it. Yeah. And, but if you think about it, like I just watched a video today about, uh, YouTube and how they're, they're changing their algorithm and stuff. And, and the way it works is kind of funny. So the algorithm, the, think about it, the, think about this basically, yeah, YouTube specifically, but a lot of search engines, but YouTube specifically has an algorithm, right? that tries to serve up what it thinks you're going to want to view. So every mm -hmm. time you go to youtube.com, you're going to see a bunch of thumbnails there. And a lot of them will be, they will all be tailored to you either from past searches or past clicks or whatever, or people, you know, things you subscribe to. Um, but their algorithm constantly is, is chasing an audience, mm -hmm. right? The people who make the content are constantly chasing the algorithm, right? And every now and then those people will actually catch up to the algorithm and some magic thing happens. Right. And, and like the people that are making you go viral, you go viral or whatever, but it's this circular, mm -hmm. this circular thing, right? Yeah. That's kind of AI, right? It, yeah. If you think about it, it's like 
That's what I was saying earlier. Like we create our online content to be seen by robots. We're feeding them what they want. We're feeding the robot, which tries to feed us so that we can feed the robot. I mean, it is a circular. But you know what's funny? Whenever I think about what company in the world is bigger than like a Google or a Apple, like they're, they're, there's only a handful of companies that big with that much power and Amazon and they're, they have all the resources they want. They have just billions and billions and billions and billions, hundreds of billions in the bank to do whatever they want with and to perfect their algorithms. And they're so stupid still just to try to guess what I want that I I'll buy a bag and then they'll keep serving up ads. Do you want to buy this bag? I already bought it. <laughs> You're so stupid. You <laughs> yeah, can't yeah, even figure late, out bro. what I want next. You yeah. don't know because that's how dumb our algorithms are. And I'm not saying they're not going to get better in time, but I'm kind of saying that they're not going to get as good as people assume whenever we write things. Stories that I love, like Terminator, yeah. Ex Machina, whatever. We're never going to get, they're just not. Yeah. <laughs> I don't believe it. Yeah. Um, Anyway, <laughs> if I don't understand why I'm making my own decisions, right. how, you know, how is a machine going to anyway, uh, good your question. thoughts are, are welcome people. Yeah. Yeah. Please let us know. Yeah. So, uh, with that, definitely join us next week. I'm really looking forward to this. We're going to Terminator two. I haven't watched this in a long time. And seeing them back to back like yeah, this, this is going to really be cool. great. I'm really glad that, that we're going to do this because I was going to suggest it. Oh, nice. Um, uh, so yeah. And, and, you know, seeing the, the newer, the newer style of CG mm-hmm. that, that can't be like, it was, it was transformational, you know? Huge. Um, and I know there's, uh, like, I caught a lot of stuff from this first one that I remember from the second one. Yeah. Like, a lot of references, and yeah. I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Anyway, so join us next week. We'll cover Terminator 2. Please subscribe, share us with your friends, uh, review us on iTunes, all that good stuff. Uh, we we welcome Thank any you. kind of suggestions or anything like that. Uh, and until next time, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies. Mm-hmm.